0: the good, the bad,
1: the ugly. That's the theme for this week's State Capitol Report as Victoria gives us her inside take on the good laws, the not so good and the just downright ugly that came out of the 2023 General Assembly. Plus. Do we need to worry about FBI agents infiltrating local Catholic churches? Welcome to Speak Up, Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family, and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm your host, Candy Cushman, with our president, Victoria Cobb. All right, we're finally going to give you what we've been promising for a while now, and that is the final report, the inside scoop on the outcomes of the 2023 General Assembly, and how this impacts you, Virginia families, moving forward. Victoria, let's start with the good here.
0: Okay, so um, we did have one really great thing, which is we actually have a bill on the governor's desk, which I was not honestly expecting, given the division between the House and the Senate and so forth. So we have a bill, and this is a bill that we pushed last year and couldn't get through, but the concept is... Um, that we will not have a situation again like we had during the pandemic where the governor decided that certain businesses, and if you remember, it was alcohol stores and things that we didn't think, he deemed those essential and then churches were actually shut down. They were deemed non-essential. And so this bill claims and makes it clear that you can't keep some things open and not keep churches open
1: yes not that was governor northam yes that did that now we have uh this governor yankin this bill sitting on his desk yes. and he's expected to sign it yes so we
0: don't think there'll be any issue with that now i i jokingly call it this is just a restatement of the first amendment because <laughs> we have a right to worship and i would argue yes. that should have never happened in the first place but
1: but it is a victory for First Amendment issues and also for just restraining out-of-control government.
0: Absolutely. We've tried a lot of things on this pandemic. We saw government way out of – I mean, we're still working on, you know, how long can an emergency be? I mean, that, that – that, it's amazing to me that we have not yet been able to restrict – the power of the governor in a pandemic because we saw how just over across the board that was but at least in this area at least yeah. with churches we've we've gotten something done
1: at least we got we got parental rights for whether kids have to wear a mask or not yeah and that's true we know. did also get that Yeah, we're building <laughs> so on two pieces. churches to be at least treated equally right so that's good well we had some other victories in the area of restraint um, especially when it comes to defeating what would have been a constitutional amendment to basically codify unlimited abortion and also on the marriage issue. Tell us about those.
0: Yeah, there were two efforts with constitutional amendments. So these are things that would permanently change the Virginia Constitution and therefore all laws would be impacted by it. Uh, And so one was unlimited right to abortion. So any restrictions on abortion would have been in trouble if we had – seen this bill pass. And so we're very grateful that we're not going to ultimately that would go to the people and we'd have a big effort at the ballot on whether we're going to change the Constitution, but it has to pass the legislature first. So we're just glad we stalled that and hopefully killed it for quite some time. And then the other one was trying to repeal an effort. We actually the Family Foundation led in 2006, which was that we have a traditional definition of marriage in our Constitution. And they wanted to pull that out.
1: Yeah. And those are both very significant on the abortion one. Um, if, if that would have gotten through, it would have ended up really nullifying any kind of pro life law that even before it even had a chance to go through the General Assembly, including parental rights for abortion. So that was very significant. Um, and then just on the marriage, it's good to have that language in there in case there is progress in the future Yeah. Um, toward, you know, in the Supreme Court area, towards once again, protecting traditional marriage. So. Absolutely.
0: Sometimes the things that don't get done are the victories. And people tend to forget that stopping bad ideas is really important. And we saw during two years of liberal reign in Virginia that uh, when there is nothing to stop crazy ideas, uh, we pay the yeah. price. Yeah. Stopping things is a victory. It so is that. a victory. People People cannot <laughs> underestimate how important that is.
1: Well, all right, we can go ahead and move into the bad category then. Um, That was the good, and then we have the bad, but let's just talk about the big picture here uh, because I've seen people concluding that this whole thing was a draw in the sense that um, basically everything good that came out of the House was then blocked in the Senate and vice versa. What's your take on that?
0: I mean, that's a fair assessment. There, you know, The House is predominantly conservative. The Senate is predominantly liberal. And so bad ideas come from the Senate and then thankfully they get stopped in the House. Good ideas. So you, you got the idea. That is generally what happened. Um, and unfortunately, that means a lot of good ideas did not end up passing. So that is disappointing. Um, they all run into into the same roadblock but there's a lot in the background and I, I feel like people need to understand the context of session because it's not just sort of who controls each chamber it's also things that people don't think about like the fact that we actually have redistricting that has happened and so this is an election year in virginia all senators and house delegates will run for re-election and because they've redrawn the lines, that happens every 10 years, they go to court and fight about it for a couple years, and then this is the first election where it's really in play for everybody. What that means is that you can have, for example, two incumbent Republicans or two incumbent Democrats be put into the same new district. Well, what does that mean? That means they're both kind of showing off during the General Assembly because they have to outdo the other one to capture their base nomination. They want to be the one Republican that ends up being nominated for that district. So there's a lot of things that are in the background that affect yeah. kind of what bills move forward and what people say about them and all of that.
1: Give us just one example where you feel like that played into an issue.
0: Well, I mean, it's it, you definitely see, um, I mean, I guess, there's a really contentious primary in the southwest area of Virginia between two delegates and um, I think there is a bit of who can be more conservative in what they introduced. So we're glad because that gets it, really conservative ideas introduced. So one of them introduced a total ban on abortion, just the idea that like we're going to value life from the start. The other one carried the essential churches bill. They're both trying to posture themselves well for the fact that they want to be the Republican nominee yeah. from the area.
1: And then sometimes it worked in the negative where you had what should be a Republican because they're in a more – Radical district, or maybe competing with someone more liberal this time. Yeah. Going negative. So we so did we see saw some that. Of that too.
0: <laughs> That's correct.
1: Well, let me just stop for a moment and remind you that an easy way to help people get involved and really understand the issues that are going on in the state, what's happening in the state capitol, how their vote makes a difference, is to just tune them into this podcast. So share this with your friends. And also, it helps uh, whatever platform that you're listening to this on, whether it's a uh, Google, Spotify, Apple, if you give us a review, that always helps uh, lift up our program so other people can find it. So don't forget to share with others and give us uh, a five-star review if you like what you're hearing. Well, last time we covered what happened with the pro-life bills, um, but let's catch people up with the outcome for the parental rights legislation. I know a lot of our listeners care deeply about this issue. In fact, a lot of you came out for Mama Bear Day at the state capitol, so they wanted to be heard on this. So tell us where it all
0: landed. Sure. Well, there's a lot of bills that fit into that parental rights category. And if I had thought what one bill would pass, if there was going to be a bill to pass, I would have thought it was a parental rights one, because the election message of the previous election had been so strong in that direction. But I would have been wrong, because none of them ended up passing. But let me give you a reminder of what were the kinds of bills that were introduced. We had efforts to basically get parents in the loop on what are the library books in your child's school. Can we at least have some guidelines? Can parents know about them? We had a lot of bills kind of in that direction. We had bills that said parents better have access to their child's medical records. That's a stunner um, that that doesn't pass, that we actually allow kids to have medical things happen that parents aren't in the loop on, and that didn't even pass. Um, we had littler bills. I think they're, you know, a less big deal, I would say, which was just simply, hey, if there's going to be an outside speaker in your public school, parents ought to know about that. Um, and but that can be a big deal
1: if it's one well, of these it drag things
0: or Planned Parenthood. It, it can be, but you would think that that should be – If we're going to do something outside the existing curriculum that's not even on paper, you'd think that would be an easy one to say, yeah, parents should know about that. I guess that was my my point. Not that it can't be a terrible thing that happens, but just that should be one that they go, yeah, parents have a right to know who comes in and out Mm -hmm. of my kid's classroom. Common Um, sense. Yeah, common sense. And we had one that was a big deal for, especially for Northern Virginians, who was, uh, you know, that have dealt with this issue on merit. You know, are the schools going to tell our kids that they've actually received National Merit Society, uh, you know, recommendations that they, they get the highest level, great you know, scores on things that's been hidden from parents. And so I thought that bill, I mean, at least that bill would pass. Mm-hmm. But no, all of these bills fell prey to uh, the same committee, the Senate Education and Health Committee. Um, yeah, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes. Yes.
1: <laughs> well, basically, people are concerned that we've been seeing this trend grow. As one of the parents testified at our, at our Mama Bear press conference, they've been actually watching in their schools parents getting more and more cut out of the process. And all these bills – were an effort to put it back in the right direction, put restore parents back to the driver's seat. And so it is disturbing that none of them made it through. And I did want to just touch on the one that got national attention, yeah. and that's Sage's, Sage's Law. Law. Tell us about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, this was just, again, a bill that had was designed after an incredibly tragic story around a, a young girl named Sage. And just all that she went through that was ultimately, it started as a result of her being confused about her gender, in the school system, and the school system not notifying the parents, and she ultimately gets—I'd say even into, hiding from uh, the parents. Yes, hiding yeah. it from the parents, and she gets drawn into sex trafficking, and it's just a terrible story. But that bill simply said, at the point at which the school is participating in a child uh, claiming to be a different gender than their biology, that's when the parent needs to know, and that should have been a no-brainer. That—that um, that is your child um, presenting as something totally different, using a different restroom. The parents should know, and that unfortunately, although it did get great attention, and it will be back. There's no question that this bill will be brought forward, and we're still seeing it play out in news stories, um, and we're seeing other states look mm-hmm. at it. And so, there's so much good that happened as a result of bringing forward this story and this bill, but it did not change the situation in our schools yet.
1: Now, one of the common arguments that we kept hearing again and again against Sages Law was this claim that it's basically creating forced outings of students. Let's just listen to that claim being made by Delegate Rome, who is known as the first openly transgender person elected to the US legislature, or at least one of the first. Um, So let's just hear that clip real quick. And now you're dealing with forcibly outing trans kids and you didn't even talk to the one person in this body who actually knows what it's like to be scared to death as a 13, 14 year old kid of anyone finding out that you're actually trans. You have no idea what you're doing. Wow, you can just really hear the anger and just the raw emotion in that comment, but this is actually a talking point that was made repeatedly, right?
0: Yeah, this this was their big, uh, selling point for their side was this is forcing a child to come out and so we even tried to clarify the bill okay no we're really talking about the point at which they're telling the school to be a part of their transition their effort to present as something else we're this is not a casual conversation about i might be feeling something or thinking something this is so we tried to even go halfway with them to say, okay, maybe we weren't as clear as we could possibly be. But the emotion behind it, um, it's shocking because in one hand, they want these kids to be treated as adults. They're in their minds. They're old enough to determine and even change their gender. And and they would say go all the way to changing their body to align with new thoughts about themselves. Even a 14 year old. (laughs) old, This is their argument. But on the flip side, they're apparently not mature enough to have the conversation with their parents like adults. Even in conflict, even if we have different views about something, we can have a conversation, and they're they're trying to prevent them from that.
1: Well, I also think the term forced outing is a little bit ironic, when in most of these cases the kids are pretty much out to everyone at school. Their friends, the, the school, one thousand of their closest <laughs> friends. The only one that, that doesn't know is the parent. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't I don't know that that's really a. Um, accurate description for what this bill does it just brings the parents into the loop that everyone else is already in that loop
0: correct they i mean some of these arguments and and when you you're at the general assembly long enough you know they're really false herrings. they're really not the actual problem they just need something that will stick that will go in the media that's compelling that's emotional even if it's not accurate to the actual words of the Mm, legislation and I, i hate to say it that's what was happening here
1: yeah Well, again, like you said, the good news is this issue is not going away. It got national attention. Uh, Other parents in other states are speaking up simultaneously. I think this is going to continue moving forward. And. Um, Tell us about how we saw a little bit of that silver lining with some comments made even by legislators that were voting against it.
0: Yeah, I mean, this was a, I, I think a fairly unusual thing. I don't see this often where you have liberal legislators who oppose everything in this bill um, but yet they were overwhelmingly apologetic about voting against it. They were emotional look, I'm, I'm so sorry about this story. They felt the need to sympathize with the situation, which usually they have no sympathy for our side of an issue. And so I think that from the perspective, people have to remember a bill is trying to pass the legislature, but it's also a matter of the court of public opinion. What do people think about these ideas? We're trying to move hearts and minds. And I think the hearts and minds were moved with this bill. And even the ones- They knew it. They knew it. Even the ones of liberal legislators had to, you know, at least sort of acknowledge or be on the side of where the public is around this issue
1: and you're being charitable but i would say they felt they had to cover themselves (laughs) that's another way to look at it. that means we are making track the parents are having traction correct absolutely uh well we mentioned that we were going to cover some parts of the session that were just downright ugly and in addition to these outrageous efforts to to skew the true intent of sage's law I personally thought we had some pretty ugly moments when there was actual name calling happening during some of these debates.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the sort of the ugliest bill, as it played out in the sense of the hearing around a bill, was actually the fairness in women's sports, which is just amazing that that can provoke such anger or such name calling. But when we presented that bill, there were a couple delegates. Their reactions from the committee, uh, their comments were just outrageous. You want to go ahead and listen to maybe something out of that?
1: Yeah, I think uh, this is from Delegate Bourne, right? Yeah. Um, Let's listen to his comment for a minute.
0: And I I would, again, urge everyone to oppose this measure. I grow really tired as a lot of us do. Coming here and have to fight over and over again because a certain small percentage portion of very small-minded people need a group or a person to hate and that's all this bill is. So Mr. Chair, members of this committee, I would strongly urge you, plead with you, please protect our kids, all of our kids, and vote no on this bill.
1: I'm going to remind members of the committee, argue passionately for or against your bills. But the next person that gets up here and says that if somebody disagrees with them this particular policy position, that automatically makes them small-minded, mean, or looking for someone to hate, I am going to cut you off. We will have a civil dialogue. All right, so not much nuance there. If you, basically, if you oppose biological boys playing on girls' sports teams, you're a bigot. was the essence of that comment. yeah. But you got to admire our Delegate Freitas for drawing a line
0: there. Absolutely, it is great to have committee chairmen that go, "Wait a second, there's decorum. We don't name call. We defeat concepts. We disagree over policy. We don't um, insult the people that are on the other side of something."
1: Well, so tell us about kind of what happened with that bill, the fairness in female sports.
0: Yeah, it was really disappointing. We were able to again, you know, move this bill along, but then we run into it's always the Senate. You know, this is always the challenge that we have with um, with with women's sports and every other bill is that there's really this idea that we should let everyone do what they want to do, and somehow that's not going to impact people. And so we had tremendous testimony, and it's just disappointing to think that we can't simply say that biological males should not be winning championships over girls in girls sports on a women's team. Um, so yeah, not not the ending we had hoped. Yeah. Well, I I think
1: to kind of sum up here, I think one of the ugliest parts of this whole session was the freedom that left-wing legislatures felt to completely ignore parents. They apparently
0: felt zero accountability to them. It's literally like they're begging for the public to remind them of the election lesson we tried to express in the governor's election when governor Yunkin was li- it's like it's like we're up now please remind us of what you said last time because they couldn't have been more clear that they are just absolutely on the opposite side of parents and it, specifically we're speaking about the Smith I mean, senate
1: they didn't even
0: feel a need to compromise even on the little things no i think that's what was so stunning is you had so many different parents bills different options pick One, that you actually think, okay, in this one instance, a parent should know about their child's activities. But they didn't do that. They universally defeated every opportunity for a parent to actually know what's going on in the life of their child.
1: Yeah. So I think – I I normally – I don't state things (laughs) like this, but – I want to go so far to say, because this was all done on party line votes, that the Democrats made it pretty clear that they are the Party Against Pirates.
0: Yeah, right. I, it was very, very partisan on almost all these bills. Were, almost all of them were a straight party line vote. Um, and maybe it's worth talking about who these folks are, because these there are elections coming up, and we're not— You know, we're not sitting here telling people how to vote, but you need to keep in mind how these legislators voted when you then decide whether to send them back. And so um, if it's okay, I'd like to say who they were. Is that an
1: option? Yeah. Let me just remind people that you had mentioned this one committee. Yes. That all these bills we're talking about, the pro-life bills, the parental rights bills, Sages Law, fairness and female sports, they all – died in the same committee yeah and that is this you can correct me if I get the name wrong. I think it's the Senate Education and Health Committee yeah
0: um, yeah so this one committee defeats it all and it's really nine people because th- that's the partisan uh, lineup it's pretty much nine people on all these bills you've got your chairwoman Louise Lucas you've got Senator Saslaw Senator Howell you have um, Mammy Locke Senator Locke um, and then you've got uh, Senator George Barker you've got Senator Chap Peterson You've got Senator John Edwards from the Roanoke area. I mean, these are actually from all over the state. There's a lot of Northern Virginia, but these are actually representative all over. And then there's um, Senator Hashmi, who's actually from the Richmond, Metro Richmond area. So, yeah, I'm
1: looking you've got good a lot of Northern Virginia. And, and again, we're talking about this is the, the Senate Education and Health Committee, and that's what stopped everything. So the the Democrats on that, they're the ones that voted these all down. Um, so I'm looking at you got a lot of NOVA people, Richmond, And like, but you said there's some other from Roanoke and Hampton.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, you actually kind of have a senator from every sort of metro area of Virginia, which is disturbing that it's not just, you know, years ago, we used to like to blame all the liberal problems on northern Virginia, which isn't really fair. But now we really see, um, unfortunately, this is, uh, I would say, every area of the state has an opportunity to look at the opposition of parents and vote differently.
1: So check out who is on the Senate Education and Health Committee, and they need to hear from you. And we just we just listed a lot of them. Now, there was one Republican that also— that, Yeah, that,
0: we need to be fair. There was one senator on the Republican side who voted against a couple of these bills, which was stunning. Senator Dunavant, she's from sort of metro Richmond area, Henrico pretty much is her district. And um, I was disappointed she voted against parents knowing their child's medical records. And as a doctor, that that's kind of devastating to think that you've got medical professionals that don't want the parent in the loop. I I don't know what's kind of behind that. But that that one was, I'd say, really disappointing. Um, So, yes, there it's it wasn't perfectly down partisan line. And we do need to lay that out uh, clearly for folks. And we do need to remember, um, I guess, on a good news front, four of the folks that Voted this way are retiring, so that's yeah, um, you know, that's at least helpful. Yeah, Saslaw oh, sorry, three maybe three, three uh, of the folks, yeah. Saslaw, Howell, and Edwards are all have all announced their retirement, so that's at least
1: what is that going to mean for next year's, yeah, Senate education? And <laughs> I, it's Committee. a great question
0: because, uh, two of those are tough northern Virginia districts that have not typically voted for conservatives, so that's still going to be really hard, and it depends who runs, um, but. You know, I always think of these things as if they've always been universally opposed to everything we believe in, there's nothing but opportunity to go to get better. <laughs> That's kind of how I view it. Where's John Edwards? So he's the he's in Roanoke and he's actually in a district. He his new district is actually also with Senator Suterline, who's an incumbent Republican. So Senator Suterline will run and we do hope that that district would likely be captured by Senator Suterline who has a very strong score yeah. on our report card. All right.
1: What is We don't often list names, but this was so important because they did block everything. Yes. So what is the best way that people can redemptively use this information we are giving them?
0: I just think you need to know your own district. How does your own senator vote? Are, are you in one of these places? And you've got to talk to your friends and neighbors. And even if these people are not your representatives, the larger picture of the fact that we really do largely have one party blocking parents' rights, I, I really believe that should cross party lines. Both parties should be standing with parents. And I think that's a message anybody yeah. can share with someone. And also, I think one thing you've said that I think is so
1: encouraging to people is that even when things get blocked at the state uh, capital level, you can have traction at the local level. And we are seeing this with issues uh, like in southwest Virginia with these pro-life zoning ordinances, even though all the pro-life bills got blocked, at the state capitol, these citizens are having movement on this issue in their local cities and on the school boards. Our uh, Protect Every Kid movement, our Speak Up Virginia movement are having great success with either getting school boards to reject bad issues that cut parents out, I'm sorry, bad policies that cut parents out or to um, adopt strong criminal rights policies at the local level. So that's a way you can continue to engage even when you see things getting blocked at the state level because that keeps the the movement going.
0: Yeah, we would be remiss if we acted like this was the only way issues advance. They advance at the local level, they advance in sometimes legal situations. Our Founding Freedoms Law Center can move an issue forward by challenging it in court. And sometimes they advance simply by winning more hearts and minds so that people come alongside our issues, that changes the politics over time. So yeah. people need to realize um, this is, you know, a tough report. It's not all good news, but that's 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 not the the only aspect of these issues. There are redemptive things happening. Absolutely. All
1: right. Well, once again, we're running tight on time, so I just want to let people know next time we're going to cover one remaining facet of all that, and that is what happened in the the with the budget issues. Because even though the general assembly has officially ended. They did deadlock on the budget, so they are still having to deal with that. And that does impact some things we care a lot about on uh, abortion funding through the state budget, um, whether uh, opportunity scholarships for impoverished kids are going to get cut or whether we can save that, and uh, tax cuts for families and businesses. So we'll cover, we'll update you on the final outcome of that the next time around. In the meantime, if you would like a nice, easy-to-use chart of everything that we just talked about, the wins and the losses on all these important life, family, freedom issues in the General Assembly, you can find that and you can find it in a nice, downloadable chart that you can share with friends and you can look right there, uh, the wins and losses, how they happened. Just go to familyfoundation.org, that's familyfoundation.org, and look for the big banner that talks about a General Assembly report. Uh, Again, familyfoundation.org will have a good chart for you to just kind of summarize everything we talked about today. Well, it's that time again, time for our Inconceivable Moments Award. This is where we're featuring examples of the absolute lunacy and craziness that happens when cultural leaders try to give guidance completely apart from biblical principles. And we're calling this the Liberals' Most Inconceivable Moments Award. Inconceivable! You know, the FBI has come under a ton of criticism lately, you know, for little things like labeling moms as potential terrorists or targeting pro-lifers while actual violent attacks are happening against pregnancy resource centers, things like that. But even still, apparently the FBI is not getting the message that maybe now might be a time to kind of back up and reassess what's going on here. Nope, that's not happening. Now we have news that from right here in Richmond, the local FBI office has moved from targeting moms and pro
0: lifers to targeting religious people like Catholics. Yeah. This is this is the kind of stuff honestly that it's like actually hard to believe. <laughs> you think you're reading some kind of like spoof website or something, but no, really, sadly, it turns out to be true that the FBI's Richmond, right where we are, field office actually did indeed issue a memo and that the 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 quote was violent extremists in radical traditionalist Catholic ideology. That's what it was about. Yeah. That that's that's the target I'll of the memo. Just hear that again. Violent extremists in radical traditionalist Catholic <laughs>
1: ideology. I mean, um, I guess those rosaries can be really dangerous <laughs> weapons. Got to watch out for those secret Catholic cells that might become terrorists. But seriously, what do you think's going on
0: here? I, I mean, first of all, it's just really disturbing that this memo can even be – put out, let alone the fact that it was issued, I noticed, right around the time that we were having the March for Life, which is a highly Catholic event. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got the fact that there's this list of qualities that supposedly make certain Catholics more attractive to the violent extremists. Like a preference for the traditional latin mass or and so-called anti-lgbtq um you know beliefs or you know that if you're if you're you yeah. know on the side of traditional on marriage biblical I, sexuality, I would, I would call it biblical se- sexuality if you're actually one of those catholics that believes the catholic doctrine is kind of how i would read that or you know if you have anti-abortion views yeah. uh basically you're a traditional catholic
1: Yeah, I noticed they threw in, quote, white supremacist ideology for good measure, but it just kind of seemed like they were using the usual kind of racial LGBTQ cards to really marginalize conservative Catholics. Because conservative Catholics are the ones that are more in favor of the traditional Latin mass and, you know, and the pro-life views and that kind of thing. Well... Also, I'll just throw out this memo made specific reference to this phrase. They they had an acronym for it, RTC. Yeah, I,
0: I didn't know that was a thing. Radical I guess we're traditional all learning.
1: A Radical traditionalist Catholic.
0: I don't know if traditionalist Catholics have ever, have ever radical. Yeah, if they consider themselves <laughs> radical. In fact. Most of the world would look at people that go to traditional Latin mass and radical would not be <laughs> the word that would come to their mind. I don't know. I think uh, the
1: 12 disciples were considered pretty radical in their time. Don't I you mean, think?
0: you know, I, there are worse things to be called. But when you're called it by the FBI, yeah. who has the ability to um, dramatically um, enforce things against yeah. radicals, that's where it gets scary. Yeah.
1: You know, I, I just got to say it did kind of make me wonder uh, because, well, let me back up and say it in this memo. Um, They apparently revealed plans that they thought it was a good idea to have Catholics infiltrate and spy on one another um, because this is such a threat. And I did kind of have to think about the radical Jesus movement in the 70s. You know, that could be called radical, you know, with the FBI. If we had today's culture, would the FBI be infiltrating the Jesus movement and kind of invading that?
0: I can't even imagine. But, yeah, I think they would have been because – they're threatened by our ideology, those of us that believe in Jesus.
1: But the bigger issue is this pattern of our own government creating these watch lists, you know, for for moms, for pro-lifers, and now Catholics. I mean, it's a trend, and we we need to pay attention to it, because one day it could be us on that list. I have
0: friends that would check every one of those boxes. Yeah. Like, literally, they're a mom, they're Catholic, they're pro-life, and um, they're probably the most non-threatening people I know. I just, I can't figure out how this is where we've gotten to.
1: Well, the good news is, at least the national FBI headquarters has basically disavowed this memo put out by our Richmond office, um, saying it quote, does not meet the exacting standards of the
0: FBI. So apparently
1: they have exacting I'd standards. I'd really love to know
0: what those are that got the pro lifers and the and the and the uh, <laughs> and the moms on the list. Like those are the exacting standards, apparently. Sorry, you were
1: well at least so. we're drawing the line somewhere. Right. Well, I guess that means this week's Inconceivable Award does need to go to our local Richmond FBI office, or at least the person in the office who wrote this memo, for demonstrating to us all the extreme irony of labeling other people as extreme, while you yourself are so out there that your own national headquarters has to disavow you. Thanks for joining us for this week's Speak Up Virginia brought to you by the Family Foundation. Visit us at familyfoundation.org. That's familyfoundation.org. See you next time. And don't forget, we are stronger when we speak together.